Good evening, everyone. Thanks so much for the invitation to be here. It's my pr- uh, privilege to be with you. Uh, as Dan said, my name's David. I've been working for the Evangelical Alliance for eight years now, and I've seen quite a number of changes uh, in that time, and particularly the last three to four years. Uh, the culture around us is changing very rapidly. So what we're going to be looking at tonight, um, I think compared with what's happening today, uh, you'll be able to, uh, we'll just explore a little bit of that together. I'm married to Judith, and we have three kids, Maeve and Finn and Isaac, and they range from six down to one. So uh, talking about family, it really is a privilege to come, come and share with you tonight. I've been asked to continue the series that you've been looking at, and as you've said, the title is The Beginning of Family. And within the first four chapters of Genesis, we see the creation of family, the destructive effects of sin upon it, and the seeds of redemption being sown. And tonight we're going to look at these beginnings, how the theme of family unfolds throughout scripture, and how it applies to our lives in Northern Ireland in 2019. The following four points might be helpful to keep in mind as we make our way through. The foundation of family, the fall of family, the role of family, and the redemption of family. So the foundation of family, the fall of family, the role of family, and the redemption of family. All of us in this room will know family relationships are the source of both our deepest joys and our deepest pain. But what is family today if you stop someone in the street out there just down in the Golden Mile? Well, Kyle Casson in 2015 was a single man. He fathered his son using a donated egg and his own mother acted as a surrogate. The case only came to light when it went to court so that Mr. Casson could legally adopt the boy who legally was also his brother because it was born to the same woman, his mum. So today, a single man can commission through private commercial IVF services his own child, and even his mother can be the surrogate. Or what about the case of Freddie McConnell, a female-to-male transgender person who just last month lost their attempt in court to be registered as the father of the child that they gave birth to. So we transitioned in the eyes of the law from female-to-male, Uh, And this is already the case in the Netherlands that this can happen. A child can legally have no mother. Or what about the rise of the thruple, where three people commit to relationship together and to raising a family together? Or what about the fact that in 1919 in Northern Ireland, about 5% of all births were outside of marriage, and now it's around 40%, but when you go to Belfast or Derry, it's 60%. Or the fact that the cost of family breakdown costs the government or the taxpayer £48 billion every year. And that dads are less common in the homes of teenagers today than smartphones. I say none of this to shock you or to stand in judgment of anyone or condescension. I just want to give a flavour of what many people consider to be the new normal when it comes to family. Or at least the direction that we are travelling in as a culture today. But let's turn to Genesis, the foundation of family. And I'm going to be um, dipping in and out of Genesis, particularly 2, 3, 
uh, and 4, but there'll be a lot of scripture interwoven uh, as we go tonight. But the first five words of the Bible, in the beginning God created, and we're only five words in, but already we're in a completely different trajectory than the story being told by the world around us today. In the beginning God created. From the early chapters of Genesis, we learn of a God who created this world with purpose and who lives in intimate relationship with his creation. Family is not accidental or incidental. It's not a cosmic chance or uh, a fluke. It is good and an intentional part of the good design and good purposes of God. It's a common grace gift given to humanity from the creator of all things. And in scripture, family finds its home in the ecosystem of wider relationships created by God. And we see some key relationships in chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. We see a relational God. God's relationship with with in himself. The triune God in perfect loving relationship. God the Father and Creator. In the beginning, God created the spirit breathing over the waters in Genesis 1 chapter or 1 verse 2 and the role of Jesus in creation in Colossians 1.16 where it says for by him all things were created things in heaven and on earth we see God's relationship with humanity we are made for relationship with God in his image we find our purpose in relationship with him as stewards and rulers of the earth that he has created Genesis 1.28 be fruitful increase subdue rule the commands given to humanity under God. We see relationships with each other as human beings. Genesis 2.25, we're made male and female. Genesis 4.1, parents and children, families and communities. Genesis 4.17, Enoch is the first city that is founded by Cain, the beginning of tribes and nations. So in the first four chapters of, of Genesis, we see a wide range of relationships including the relationship between ourselves and the creation that God has made. So we see the fundamental relationships of family, marriage, and any children that may be born into that marriage. These are developed early in the chapters of Genesis. Now tonight I'm speaking in broad brushstrokes, but I, I am acutely aware that for some people both marriage and children or the absence or loss of either or both can be sensitive issues. Let's look at marriage a little more deeply. Genesis two twenty three to 25 says this. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And we see the design of marriage man and wife raising children who leave their parents and begin new families of their own where the cycle begins over again one generation to the next there's this idea of leaving and cleaving leaving his father and mother the act of leaving the home and direct stewardship of a husband and wife or your parents to form a new home as a new husband and wife and then cleaving onto his wife the idea of clinging and holding together creating a common purpose, a commitment, mutual dependency, relationship, covenant together. And one flesh, this beautiful poetic language here, descriptive and alluding to the physical act of sex and consummation, but deeper and richer. 
The idea of two lives becoming one, of a new creation and a new relationship of marriage being formed by two people coming together in complementarity and the potential for new physical life too. And then note, naked but not ashamed. Their relationship was open, intimate, honest, loving, without sin. Interesting that religion is often blamed for shaming sex and bodies and women, but that today in the new order of things, shame continues to abound. There's this idea that if we got rid of God or religion or what's sometimes called traditional family values, then we got rid of shame. But ironically, the sexual revolution was a way of seeking to be naked but not ashamed. But I think it's clear to see that that's led to shame and confusion for many people. We can ignore it, we can rename it as a virtue, but sin is an unchangeable reality that ultimately points us to our need for redemption. The Bible begins and ends with the coming together of heaven and earth. And this image of marriage, as N.T. Wright says, we have this rich, symbolic account of God's good creation in which, at its very heart, the coming together of male plus female is itself a signpost pointing to that great complementarity of God's whole creation of heaven and earth belonging together. And then in Revelation 21, 22, substantially the same thing. I'm continuing to quote, Only now at the end of the story, the new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven like a bride adorned for her husband. So with the symbolism of marriage of male and female coming together, this is the symbol which says, here we find the very heart of God's intended creation. These bookends set the frame for the essential nature of marriage as something born in the mind of God, a grace given to humanity for us to align ourselves to. Marriage is sacramental in the widest sense and an embodied symbol of a deeper spiritual truth, a, a visible signpost to an invisible reality. Marriage is the very image through which God reveals Jesus' relationship with his church. A church full of people from every tribe and nation, this covenant relationship is central to the story of God and it weaves through scripture for the good of humanity. Marriage is a symbolic mystery into which some are invited but through which all are blessed. Married or single, young or old, Christian or not, whatever our feelings, our whole community has been blessed by good marriages and affected in negative ways by others. A marriage which is not ours to fashion and refashion, but one that fashions and refashions us. And in this way, marriage has played an important role in the social cohesion and ordering of society across time and place. It's important to note here that marriage is a gift to humanity from before the church or the state came into being. And also that the church's interest in marriage extends beyond the church doors. While you can have a civil or religious wedding ceremony, every couple enters into the same legal definition of marriage. And while Christians have always understood additional theological and covenantal aspects to marriage, in a few months the church and state are going to part ways even more significantly in our understanding and practice of this special relationship. When we look at children, and we move on to Genesis 1, 28, and the, the verse says, be fruitful and increase in number. And then we see Genesis 3 and 15, and we see enmity between offspring. It says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
And from early on, we see children as a blessing from God. And they're often closely associated throughout scripture with the seeds of redemption and God's purposes. We see God's heart for the widow and the orphan in James 1.27. Children are called a heritage from the Lord in Psalm 127. Jesus says that those who are like little children will inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus rebukes those disciples who are trying to turn little children away from him. And he warns those who would cause them to be lost. In Jeremiah 1.5, we see the hand of the Lord in preborn life. It says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You were Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. We see God's purposes in the lives of people yet to be born. We see it again in Psalm 139 and the fact that the Lord Jesus became an unborn child and Elizabeth's child kicked in the womb at his presence. We see worth and purpose given to children born and unborn as they are embraced with the dignity and the language of family. So the foundations of family we see clearly in the first couple of chapters of of Genesis. But moving on to the fall of family, and I'm afraid we don't have to look too far to see that too. Sin breaks our relationship with God, with each other, and with the creation around us. When sin breaks our relationship with God, it often results in idolatry. When sin breaks our relationship with each other, it often results in injustice. And we don't have to look too far today to see this and at a wider cultural level as I opened up talking about or maybe closer to home in our own families at times. And the fall it begins in the marriage relationship between Adam and Eve. Um, and one of the first consequences in Genesis 3 and 7 is that their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. Remember in the previous chapter they were naked and not ashamed. Now they were naked and ashamed. Sin and shame came between them and changed the dynamic somehow of how they saw their own bodies and their spirits and how they related to each other. In verse 12, Genesis 3 verse 12, we see blame creeping in. In verse 16, we see pain and contention. In verse 17, we see consequences of sin for the shape of work and family life together. In Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, the first recorded act of violence and murder was by one brother on another. When questioned by God in Genesis 4, 9, Cain replied with a phrase that we still use today, thousands of years and thousands of miles away, am I my brother's keeper? Note the seeds of individualism breaking away from the bonds of relationship to serve himself. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, actually, yes, we were in relationship with each other. These violent sins had consequences and were passed down. We see the judgment of God on the generation of Noah and yet the redemption of humanity through him and his family and his faithfulness. Abraham, again we see the effects of the fall in his family and yet the seeds of redemption are also beginning to grow. This series um, that we're looking at focuses on the first 11 chapters of Genesis but if we read Genesis 12 chapters 1 to 3 it says this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who bless you, and him who honours, who dishonours you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We see the effects of marriage. Um, and it's going to be a common theme, theme throughout tonight, but marriage is obviously central, central to God's design for family. Our culture today has conflated and confused marriage, sexuality, and equality, while at the same time decoupling sex and procreation from marriage. I'll say that again. Our culture today has conflated and confused together marriage, equality, and sexuality, while at the same time decoupling sex and procreation from marriage. Now, the church values equality and marriage, but it does not follow that marriage is an inequality that needs to be rectified. The church values sexuality, but it does not follow that marriage should be re-centered around sexuality instead of sexual difference. The campaigning term equal marriage is particularly rooted and unhelpful in this conversation. However, the current redefinition of marriage is not the only threat. Busyness, individualism, pornography, cohabitation, there are many other modern threats to marriage. Many of us have not stewarded this gift of marriage well. Some of us have made an idol of marriage, and some of us might have made a joke of it, and some of us have been deeply hurt by it. Unfortunately, we don't need to look too far to see the effect of the fall on children, be that on broken families, mental health, abortion, or abuse. Increasingly, the structures of family that we hold dear, that we see in Genesis, are seen as a threat to what is termed progress. The values we held in common across society about family for thousands of years seem to be disintegrating, and issues like marriage and abortion are becoming consumerized and privatized. Matters largely a personal choice rather than public concern. So we've looked at the foundation of family, the formation of family. We've looked at the fall of family. I want us just to consider the role of family in Genesis, but also in other parts of scriptures as we consider that tonight. The one flesh nature of marriage, male and female coming together, different but complementary to each other, reflects God's design for our flourishing as families and communities. Sex and the unique potential for procreation are within the committed boundaries of this covenant relationship. Marriage creates order and commitment and protection and nurture for the family. The space for the physical, spiritual and moral formation of any children born and indeed the care of others. We see this in the Ten Commandments. Honour your father and your mother. Do not covet your neighbour's wife. God commands honour and care and faithfulness within the family relationship. Families are often where these values, along with truth and integrity, are created and sustained. Some of my favourite words in the Bible are Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 to 9. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. 
Tie them as symbols in your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This idea that God's word is to be central to the to families um, within the people of God. Moving to the New Testament and Ephesians 5 verses 22 to 6 verses 4. And these are familiar um, verses and there's commands there for wives and for husbands and for parents and for children. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I hope you don't mind me reading that passage, but I think you can see the links back to the quotes in Genesis 2 and the quotes of the Ten Commandments there and just how instructive God's word is for the function and the role of families today. In this passage, we see clear instructions for the well-being and flourishing of families. There are responsibilities sorry, placed on each family member. We are to live lives that honour him and each other. Here we see both a relational order and a mutuality. Wives are to submit and respect their husbands, as husbands are to love their wives and give themselves for them. Children are to obey their parents as fathers are to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And these commands are interconnected through our family relationships. They come to life through them. Although in this fallen world, family life is often chaotic and, and messy at times, we see that God, through his words, is intimately and lovingly concerned with our daily family lives. We need to be careful not to confuse, however, nuclear families with God's word. Dad, mom and children might be where new families begin. But as we see in scripture and God's redemptive plan, family moves to include others. Orphans, widows, the idea of adoption, the, the marginalized or the infirm, bonded workers and the kinsman redeemer. Neighbors and foreigners are welcomed in to find care and hospitality, primarily within the context of family relationships. I'm sure many of us, that's been our testimony as well, that we find care and nurture, not just in our own family, but in many others. And finally tonight, as we've looked at the um, formation of family, we've looked at the fall of family, we've looked at the, the role 
of family or the, the function of family. But I want to spend a little bit of time closing, looking at the redemption of family, because again we see the seeds in Genesis, but we see that come to fruition um, right throughout Scripture. And the story of Scripture, particularly the Old Testament, is largely told through the story of families from one generation to the next. Their sin, their rebellion, occasional acts of faithfulness, and the redemptive, providential, and sovereign hand of the Lord God Almighty. Matthew 1 is a chapter of genealogies, and we can trace through family lines and see right the way through from Adam to Jesus. We see through the Old Testament, we, we got as far as Abraham, but Joseph was loved among his brothers in one, in one family who became the founding tribes of the children of God. He was betrayed and forsaken, and yet he saved his family and his people from famine, and he ended up ruling the land. Moses was saved by his mother and sister and adopted into Pharaoh's family, advocating and leading his people and God's people out of slavery. David, the youngest of his brothers, was chosen to be king. He committed adultery. He lost the son he loved, and yet he's still recorded as a man after God's own heart and again a direct king descendant of Jesus. Hosea, his wife betraying him openly among the peoples, painfully pointing to the faithful and compassionate heart of God despite the sin and unfaithfulness of his people. Ruth losing her husband, forming a close bond with her mother-in-law and finding new relationship with her kinsman redeemer Boaz. Esther working with her uncle and pleading with her husband the king to save her people. All, all this to say that through marriage and children and families fallen and not guaranteed to any of us, But time and time again, we see God's constant desire to bless the nations and overcome the curse of sin through the broken relationships of families. Jesus talks about families a lot. His parables and his teachings, his eating, his friendships often have something, often were in the context of family or have something to say about family. And not all of it is is particularly easy to understand. I want to just draw out this Um, tension between traditional family cultures and western postmodern cultures and then look at what what Jesus says about that in Matthew 10 36 Jesus says this for I have come to turn a man against his father a daughter against her mother a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law a man's enemies will be the members of his own household anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus' teachings were difficult for a culture where worth and identity and social standing was found in family. The vision of the good and the brave person was one who sacrificed themselves and uh, their desires for the good of their family. Identity was bestowed from your family to you and from your community to you. Eastern and Middle Eastern and African cultures, many today still operate in this way, where family dictates by and large your identity. And there's this interesting um, tension that played out in the the Disney film uh, Mulan and in Frozen, where the lead characters were true to themselves in that film. But when they were released in, in countries with strong traditional family values, they weren't seen as heroes. They actually betrayed their families by being true to themselves 
And so they weren't the heroine that uh, Disney thought thought they were. Because in the West, the brave and the good person today in this postmodern world often forsakes the expectations of everyone else and finds their true authentic selves in here. Identity is not bestowed by your family or by your culture. It's something you find inside yourself. And yet, Luke 9.23, Jesus' words also jar with our culture today. And he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So we don't find our identity foremost in our family or even in ourselves, but but in Christ foremost. Identity is bestowed not primarily by our family, by ourselves, but by God. This is truly a radical teaching 2,000 years ago and today in our culture. And yet we don't lose those things either, family or ourselves. In God's goodness and his grace and his favour, we find both family and ourselves when we surrender to Jesus. Matthew nineteen twenty nine, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we have this radical idea, as I say, 2,000 years ago, but still radical today, that our identity is not found in our, in our family primarily, or who we even think we are in here, but who God says we are. And in this final point of redemption and family, there's one particular point I felt I had to make as I was praying and preparing. It's, it's obvious, but uh, I think with over-familiarity, we can often miss it. The gospel is the incredible story of God's enemies becoming God's family. God's enemies becoming God's family. Again, we saw evidence of this in the beginnings in Genesis. Enmity between offspring, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel between Eve and the serpent. And in the covenants made in Genesis by God and Noah and God and Abraham. So we see the seeds of redemption there. Romans 5.10 says this, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we were enemies of God, not just enemies, but we didn't just move from enemies to be forgiven, although that's true. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. We didn't just move from enemies to friends, but, but that's true. John fifteen fifteen, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. So we're not just enemies to forgiven or enemies to friends, but we move from enemies to family. It's incredible. Imagine a God who pursues his enemies, calling them instead to become part of his family. It's difficult for us humanly to get our heads around this. Um, And so we don't miss it. Scripture uses lots of different images. There's obviously God as God the Father, 1 Corinthians 8.6, James, Malachi, 1 Peter. Ephesians 4.6 says this, One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. 
Or Psalm 68, 5, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widows is God and his holy habitation. God as our father as an image occurs throughout scripture as we know. We are brothers and, and sisters. We're made in the image of God. Genesis 1 and, and 2, um, and this is picked up again in Romans 8, verse 29. Listen to these words. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. There's this reference back to Genesis being made in the image of God and then being remade and conformed to the image of Christ whenever we come to God through Christ again, we're remade in his image in order that he might be the firstborn, the firstborn among many brothers. And the phrase brothers and sisters in Christ is used throughout Acts in the early church and we still use it today. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the image of adoption. Ephesians 1, 4 to 6 says this, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So we have this image of um, the father, brothers and sisters were adopted. In case we still don't get it, there's the image of being born again into the family of God. 1 Peter 1, 2-4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And then marriage, as we've mentioned, the most intimate relationship possible is used for the relationship between Christ and the church. And we saw Paul quoting Genesis 2.24 and saying this refers to Christ and the church. So God is our father. We are brothers and sisters. We're adopted and born again. And our relationship with Jesus as the church is best communicated through the living symbol of marriage. The not so subtle message that runs throughout the gospel from seeds in Genesis to the tree of life in Revelation is that we are pursued by God and are transformed from enemies to family. Three final things as I finish, and you're within the last two minutes, so don't worry. Maybe family is a tough subject for you in so many ways, whether you're a Christian or not. Please hear clearly tonight that there is hope and healing, redemption and new life to be found in Jesus Christ. And if I've been unintentionally insensitive around any of those issues, I am sorry. Second point, reflect on this, that today getting married to someone of the opposite sex and staying faithful to that person, creating a family together, that's about one of the most radical things you could probably do. What was the norm a generation ago is increasingly <laughs> radical and countercultural. If this is you, bear witness to the Lord through how you live together as a fallen but redeemed family. And finally, maybe you haven't made that incredible journey yet from being God's enemy to being part of God's family. If not, I know there's people in here tonight who would love to help you explore that further. Thank you.